Grace and peace be with you from the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a delight to be back with you and outside of the prison cell that I have been in for the last few weeks. It's good to see so many human beings alive and active today. And I look forward to reconnecting with you, uh, not only today, but in the days to come. I must confess at the outset that you are getting the second string today. Zach was scheduled to preach, and he has written a beautiful sermon, which he passed on to me. Uh, You recall that a couple of weeks ago, I had written a not-so-beautiful sermon, but he made it beautiful after I passed it on to him. And so I hope that today I will be able to do this a bit of justice, as he and I have collaborated once again on a sermon on the mothers of Jesus. Now, some of you might be wondering why it is that over the last several weeks you have not seen Zach and I together at the same time and in the same place. And I think you all know why. It's because you're never going to see Clark Kent and Superman in the same room or Bruce Wayne and Batman in the same room. Uh, I think it has something to do with the fact that after you called me and voted to receive me as one of your pastors, things began to spiral out of control for many of us. And, and now Zach and I can't stand to be in the same room together. No, the truth of the matter is, this church just can't handle that much glory at one time. And so, <laughs> and so you, <laughs> I better stop right there. <laughs> oh. Well, this morning we come to the end of our Advent series on the Mothers of Jesus. And what that means for us in light of our series is that we have come to the mother of Jesus, a young woman named Mary. And you know as well as I do that there is something very special about Mary. Very special about Mary. It's my conviction that Christian traditions need to pay more careful attention to Mary, the mother of Jesus. Granted, there are traditions that go too far one way and idolize her, but there are also many traditions that go too far the other way and sort of dehumanize her and even demonize her. And I'm not suggesting that the truth is somewhere in the middle. I'm simply suggesting that the truth is more complex and more beautiful than some of us have given credit for. The truth is that the Virgin Mary was the blessed mother of Jesus, the God-man. And that makes her the second most important person in the history of the world and in the story of the gospel. In many ways, we will say of Mary what Kevin Durant said of his own mother. She the real MVP. Mary's story teaches us something important, and it It's especially important in these times in which we find ourselves when we're all quite aware that the world is not quite what it should be. Contrary to popular imagination, Mary did not live in a world that was all that different from our own. She lived in a world where the powerful were jockeying for more power, where some were calling for war, others for compromise. She lived in a world where some said globalization is the answer, while others said no nationalism should lead the way. 
She lived in a world where the powerless were forgotten and the common man and the common woman often felt left behind. Where religious leaders were arguing over what God was doing and therefore what God's people should be doing. It was a world filled with a lot of noise and a lot of tension between the powerful and the powerless. If they had been living in our day, if there had been TVs and social media back then, the headlines coming across their screens would not have read much differently than our own. It's in light of that that we come to Mary, and Mary's story shows us how God enters into all of that global mess, not in some proverbial or metaphorical way, but in real flesh and blood. He entered into our world because he entered into Mary's world. And when I say he entered into Mary's world, what I mean is he entered into Mary's womb and into her life. When Mary receives the news from the angel, she responds in an unimaginable way by singing a new song, by singing what we have come to know as the Magnificat. And that's the invitation before you this morning to let God teach you this new song through Mary, the mother of Jesus. It's a song that we all need to hear, a song that we need to learn, a song that we need to believe. Traditionally, Mary's song is known as the Magnificat because in Latin, the first line of the song reads, Magnificat anima mea dominum. My soul magnifies the Lord, makes much of the Lord, makes him big. It's a magnificent song. It is, in fact, the longest set of words spoken by a woman in the New Testament. And when you see a detail like that, it means... The Holy Spirit wants you to pay attention to this woman and to what she is saying. This song echoes the song of Hannah. It echoes the song of the prophets and the psalmist. It is of such importance that Protestants and Catholics alike have meditated and reflected on this song. On his way to the Diet of Worms, Martin Luther actually wrote a reflection, a meditation on this song and sent it to some political rulers of his day. He said, I do not know in all the scriptures anything that so well serves such a purpose as this sacred hymn of the most blessed mother of God, which ought indeed to be learned and kept in mind by all who would rule well and be helpful lords. Truly, she sings in it most sweetly of the fear of God, what manner of Lord he is, and especially what his dealings are with those who are high and of low degree. Luther understood the spiritual and the political ramifications of Mary's song, and we would do well to grab onto it and pay closer attention to it as well. But in order for us to truly appreciate this song that Mary sings, we need to hear this song in light of another song that appears in the scriptures. It's a song as old as creation and as natural to us as breathing. It is a song that you have learned to sing from before you could even remember. You might even say that it's built into your DNA. So let's start, let's start from the beginning and hear this song. There was once an angel that came to a young woman 
And this was a special angel who came to a special woman with what he considered to be a special message. And this special woman to whom he came was one who was blessed and favored by God. The angel came with a message because he knew God and he knew God's words very well. The angel knew what God desired and what God commanded. So the angel came to this young woman unexpectedly and he caught her off guard. But he came with this fresh new slant on an old message. The young woman listened to the words of the angel. She began to believe what he was singing and saying, and he began to trust what he was delivering. And the, what the angel was actually saying in his message was this. God doesn't really love you. God hasn't been truthful to you. He told you not to eat of his special tree because he knows that when you do, you're going to be glorious and beautiful and you're going to be just like he is. It doesn't sound to me like you can trust him. It doesn't sound to me like he wants good things for you or that he wants what's best for you. What do you think? And the young woman treasured all these words in her heart. She began humming the tune and took what the angel was singing. And the words of this fallen angel replaced the words of God that were deep within her. And it was in that moment that the queen of creation became a commoner, that a princess became a pauper. It's a tragic tale of riches to rags. And in response to all of this, the Lord God, the creator of this young woman, drew near and he overshadowed her. He overshadowed the man who was with her and the serpent who was nearby. And the Lord God sang a true and better song into the brokenness and the mess of that story. If you look at Genesis 3, you will see that when God speaks to the man and the woman and the serpent, he speaks in this poetic fashion. He sings a song, a song so fitting for the occasion because in it God is singing a dirge. He's singing the blues over creation. And he tells the woman that cursed will be her childbearing. It will be a source of pain and sorrow. Cursed will be her marriage. Cursed will be the ground she walks on. Death will now reign in the world. The tragedy of this moment can only be understood through the vast expanse of history from the beginning of the world till now. It's a story of kingdoms rising against kingdoms, of bloodshed and betrayal, of war and famine, of broken families, of heartache and accidents, of injustice. In the aftermath of this song, this young woman, Eve, truly became the mother of all the living, all the living who were born into a world wrecked by death. Our first mother, Eve, treasured the words of the fallen angel, and they taught her how to sing a song in her heart. It was a song that she believed to be true, a song that deceived her to feel that God did not love her. God did not care for her. That God did not want good things for her. That God, God's words to her, the ones she originally believed, were actually bad words for her. 
You know the song that she was singing. We all know the song that she was singing. Because it's the song that we all sing all the time, don't we? You sing it this week. Perhaps even this morning. We sing it when we fail. We sing it when we mess up. We sing it when the world turns upside down. We sing it when we're lonely. We sing it when we're angry. We sing it when we're afraid. We sing it when we look in the mirror and we don't like who we see. We see it when we look at each other and we don't like what we notice about each other. We sing it when we remember the pain of our past or the problems of our present. It's a song that feels like God doesn't love you. He doesn't want good things for you. He doesn't see you. He doesn't notice you. Your life will never change because you will never change. It's a song that catechizes you to look at the world with cynicism, yourself with condemnation, and God with contempt. And you say, all things are impossible with God. So why pray? Why hope? Why not just complain or criticize? But in Genesis 3, if Eve had listened closely to God's words, she would have noticed that there was a silver lining to that dark cloud. She would have heard God make a promise buried deep within that dirge. It was a promise that through her, God was going to fix everything and make it right. That the seed of woman would one day crush the serpent's head. And the way God would bring about his promise and make all things new would look very similar to the way everything fell apart in the first place. It would begin with an angel coming to a young woman. An angel with a special message to a special young girl named Mary. And she is a very young girl. To put things in perspective, she was at best in her early teens. She is betrothed, which means that she has promised to be married. The marriage has not been consummated, but they're working towards that end. She hadn't even been to her first prom yet. She didn't have her first job at a fast food restaurant. She's never been kissed because... She's a virgin. She's a working class girl set to marry a working class man named Joseph who came from a line of kings but finds himself working as a builder or a construction worker. And there's no criticism or shame in that, simply stating the facts of the case. Mary came from a backwoods place called Nazareth. She is a nobody from nowhere She is far away from the temple, far away from power and privilege. She is the person that you would least expect to do the kind of thing that God is about to ask her to do. And God sends the angel Gabriel to her to give her a message. He brings her the very words from God on high. And he says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And just like you or I would be if an angel showed up in our room shouting at us, no matter what he said, she was terrified. Gabriel said, don't be afraid, Mary. 
Because you have found favor. You have been graced by God. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you will call his name Jesus. And he will be great. For he is the most high son of God. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. I don't know at what point of that speech that the angel was delivering that Mary just sort of blacked out. Can you imagine how overwhelming it would be not only to see an angel, but to have an angel speak to you and then to say things about you and your life and the son yet to be born that are so magnificent. And yet you see in Mary a young woman of rock solid faith. She's unshaken, unwavering in her response. It is not one of doubt or disbelief. It is one of faith. And you could read her response going something like this. I'll allow it. But how is this going to happen? How is this going to shake out? Because she knows the biological facts of the matter that are clashing with the theological truths of the matter. How is this going to happen since I'm a virgin? And the angel says, God has worked it all out. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. The child will be called Holy, the Son of God. And then Gabriel tells her that her aunt Elizabeth is also expecting six months along the very woman who had been barren all of her life. What do we see in this story? We see God doing some crazy things with a young woman and an older woman, taking two impossible situations and showing that he is the God of the possible. And that's why the angel emphasizes for nothing will be impossible with God. Now, it's at this point that we have to ask how different characters in the story responded. We read the sanitized version of all of this in the Gospel of Luke, and it looks like it's all straightforward, clean cut, no problem. Mary gets the message. She conceives of Jesus, gives birth to him, and here we are worshiping on the Lord's Day. But imagine how Joseph responded. Think of how that conversation went when she goes back to her betrothed to break the news that she has had a vision of an angel and here's the message she has received and here's how the story of her life is about to take a massive turn. It's not like Joseph said, oh, wow, Mary, uh, you've certainly given me a lot to think about. Wow, it's really interesting. Let's see how we can work on this together. This is sort of what I was planning for us. Not quite the honeymoon I was expecting, but no. Matthew tells us how it went, and he tells us that it went south, and it went south hard and fast. It took an absolute nosedive because when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit, best excuse ever, He resolves in his heart to break up with her and divorce her. And so he decides he's out. He wants out of this relationship. And it's then that Gabriel has to do a U-turn and about face and go back to Nazareth because God knows that it will take an act of God to convince Joseph to stay in this marriage. Why? Because what God is doing in this story and in Mary's life is so impossible. 
I wonder about you. How would you have responded? Do you believe this story? And if so, then let's not forget that it took the Spirit of God coming to you, coming into your life, coming into your heart to generate faith in you, to cause you to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. It took a miracle of grace to bring you to faith. And this is exactly what is happening in the story of Mary. God is the God of the impossible, but nothing is impossible with him. So here God gives us a story that scoffs at the cynicism of the world, not the other way around, as people imagine. How does Mary respond? The angel told her nothing is impossible with God, and Mary responded with almost the exact same words that we heard Rahab use when she spoke to the messengers or to the spies as they departed from her house, being lowered down on a rope. Let it be to me according to your word. She responded in faith. She responded in hope. She treasured the words of God in her heart, and she rested on the promises of God to her. Christ came to her in the same way he comes to you and me. He paves his entrance into the world by faith, which comes to us through the gracious work of the Holy Spirit. Now, this leaves many questions, doesn't it? Do you believe? Do you have faith? I'm not asking if you believe in the story. I'm asking if you believe what the story means. Mary believed it. Mary believed in the message of the angel because what did the angel tell her? He told her that she would bear the son of the most high God who would sit eternally on the throne of David, rule over Israel. His kingdom would be without end. In a nutshell, he is telling her that all of the stories that she has been told, all the promises that she has held in her heart are about to come true. Night is ending. Day is breaking. The king is coming. And Mary treasured these promises of God in her heart, and she knew what all of this meant, which is why she composed this new and beautiful song, the Magnificat. It's not a song that tells you about a God that is distant, far away, unloving, uncaring. It's not cynical about God's intentions. No, the Magnificat is a song of certain hope, that doesn't just believe in what will happen, but it believes in who will make it happen. Did you hear Mary tell you about it in her song? She told you about the one who looks upon the lowly, the one who has done great things and given mercy from generation to generation, the one who has shown his strength and scattered the proud, The one who brings down the mighty from their thrones and exalts the humble. The one who fills the hungry and empties the rich. The one who will not forget his promises. This song is about a king. This song is about her king. It is about her Lord and her Savior. It is a song written by a young girl who was thrown into impossible circumstances. And think about when she 
composed this song. It's not like she composed it right on the spot in response to the angel. She composed it after days or weeks of reflection and meditation. And in this song, you hear echoes of the word of God and the spirit of God tying things together in her heart and soul until they finally come pouring out in this beautiful expression of poetic gospel truth. The song came out much later after she had told her parents the news of the angel, after she had broken the news to Joseph, after she had gone to stay with her, her relative Elizabeth. After she had some time to think about what God's promises were. We don't know what Joseph's response actually was. We don't know about the behind the scenes conversations they had that Mary and Joseph had. We can imagine that it probably didn't go that much differently with Mary's family than it would have gone with your family. If you as a teenager or if your own teenage daughter suddenly came home and said, I'm expecting a child. No, no, let me explain. I'm expecting a child by the Holy Spirit. That's a whole new level of charismania. You know what I'm saying? It changes everything. No one knows what to do with this. Her parents might have been so ashamed and embarrassed that they decided to send her away to relatives for a little while as they sorted things out could be that Joseph just needed some space to kind of process and see what he wanted to do with this. But it's interesting that in the story and God's providence, the woman that might have understood Mary the most was her aunt because she too was carrying a miracle baby in her womb. And so in God's providence, the angel Gabriel nudged Mary to a safe place to shelter in the time of storm so she could be around someone who would rejoice over this baby in her womb along with her instead of immediately rejecting it and rejecting her. It's hard to know all the details of this, but it's somewhere in that space that Mary composed the Magnificat. It was somewhere in that uncomfortable place where the promises of God collide with real life, where faith and doubt are slammed together, where hope tries to break into a hostile world. The Magnificat is a song for Advent. It is a song of anticipation and expectation. It's a soundtrack for the already not yet promises of God. When God's promises are made in full and yet not yet fully realized. It's a way for us to see the world when the world is hard to look at. It's a way for us to see life when life gets hard. It's in the midst of her circumstances that Mary writes this song of faith and sees her life and her world through the lens of the promises of God and she treasures God's word above everything else and above anything else that it may cost her. It's not an easy thing to do, is it? Maybe it would be helpful for some of you to see that this announcement of the birth of Jesus was not all holly jolly and jingle bells for Mary. It's a hard season for Mary. 
But the Lord gave her this extraordinary gift and also heaped upon that gift an, an extraordinary burden. Some of you need to hear that. Because many of you do not receive this holiday season with much joy. For many of you, the holidays are a sad season that reminds you of sadness, of your loss and loneliness. This week, you're going to see empty seats around your dinner table. You're going to remember the way things used to be. You're going to be confronted by broken family relationships. Hurts from the past are going to be brought into the present. You're going to feel sad maybe just because you feel sad and you don't know why. And it's in this holiday season that you're going to feel the curse of sin upon the world and the ways that you wish life were different, but right now they're not. For some of you, the holidays are drab and gray. They're not red and green. And it's in that place where you feel a song rising up in your heart. For some of you, it will be the song of our first mother, Eve. The song that sings that maybe God really doesn't love you. Maybe God doesn't really want good things for you. Maybe God doesn't see you because God is so far away from you. It's a dirge that says this is just the way things are and you need to suck it up and deal with it because no amount of crying is going to change it. It's a song that will swallow hope and crush joy. It's a song that really in the end doesn't believe God is the God of the impossible. Maybe you're like some of us who wish that Mary had just given birth to a full grown man sitting on a glorious throne of victory. <laughs> but he appears on the scene of history as one who has already crushed our enemies and made things new. Skipped right to the end, right to the climax. No drama. Isn't that what we want? We want the Christmas story to be the end of the story. We want it to be the end of suffering and sorrow and hardship. But it's not. It's only the beginning of birth pains. Because before God gives us a king on a throne, he gives us a king in a manger. Flesh and blood wrapped in the filth of this world. Flesh and blood hope wrapped in a dead end job or endless depression. Flesh and blood hope wrapped even in a lonely marriage and difficult children, strained relationships. How in the midst of these things can you sing a new song? Where does it all begin? Where did it begin with Mary? It began the moment she heard the promise of God from the angel. She treasured it in her heart and said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. It began in that moment when all of Mary's life plans changed. Life took a different turn 
and she entrusted her story to this God by grace through faith. Your new song, your Magnificat, begins in the same way it began with her. When you can say those same words, when you can receive God's promise in the midst of difficulty and hardship and loss, this song is born out of such a place when you say, I entrust myself to your providence and to your sovereignty. And even though it doesn't feel like it, I choose to cling to your goodness and to your promises. And that's when the new song is born in your heart and rises up in your soul. And when you look around at the circumstances of your life and the reality of your world, and even though you wish things were different, you say, Lord, let it be to me according to your word. I am your servant. Because it's in those exact moments where your heart wants to sing the old song of sin and cynicism. Our mother, our first mother, gave us that song that pushes God away and creeps into our life when things don't go our way. It's a song she learned from that fallen angel who was a liar, a deceiver, the accuser, the serpent. But just like our assurance of pardon told us this morning from Zephaniah, you need to remember that your God sings over you. He rejoices over you with singing. And he has from the beginning, going all the way back into that ancient garden when he promised that he would send one that would crush the serpent. This God has been singing redemption over his people in the aftermath of sin and death from the very beginning. And we've heard that song many times. In this series on the mothers of Jesus, we have heard that song again and again as God sang it through Tamar and told us that he sees those who are despised, rejected, and ashamed. He sang it through Rahab and told us that he is a God of mercy and grace. He sang it over Ruth and told us that he sees us in our need and will provide for us because he is a God of justice whose law is written in love. And now he sings it over Mary, that he does not forget his promises. They will come to pass, for nothing is impossible with this God, because the virgin has conceived the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's in the Magnificat that Mary joins in the song of her God, and she invites you to do the same, to reject the song of cynicism and despair, and recognize that even though even though the world is not right, it will be put to right. And even though life is hard, and even though suffering and sorrow grow tired and old, God is in fact making all things new through the Spirit of Christ. So rest in the sure promises of your God. And know that He is the God that sings of your redemption, of your restoration, of your renewal. He is the God that sings of your salvation in Christ. This Advent season asks us all a very simple question. Which song do you want to sing? The old song of Eve or the new song of Mary? The answer depends on who and what your soul magnifies. Let us pray.